Hi, and welcome to today's meeting of Book Hoarders Anonymous. Let's all begin by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Shannon, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Shannon. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Aaron. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Book Hoarders. This is Aaron. And this is Shannon. And this is episode 20. Wow. Woohoo! In one more episode, Book Hoarders will be old enough to drink. Exactly. Well, no, I guess that would happen if it were a yearly podcast. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, in, in <laughs> numbers speak, uh, it will in, be it will be old enough to drink next, next in month. In internet time. In internet time. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Um, scary to think we have been around for two years and counting. I know. Wow. Um, happy, happy February. Yes. I guess, no, two years would be episode 24, wouldn't it? No, we started in January of 2012. We just haven't had one episode a month. That's right, because sometimes life happens. Yeah, sometimes life gets in the way. As, you know, as happens. And uh, we, we don't always have an episode every month. So, um, you know, two years old last month. And oh, yay. we're just chugging right along. Thank you to everyone who tweeted in to say that they liked the podcast or posted a comment on our blog or sent yay. us email. Um, actually, we did have several tweets saying that people liked the podcast and no listener mail to report. I, I got a private mail from, from Nolan Crabb, who runs the DB review list. Uh-huh. Um, oh, cool. And, and he, he, well, we were talking about something else altogether, and he said something about how, how Book Quarters was like the highlight of his month, and he looked forward to downloading the episodes and hearing what we had to say. And coming Aww. from him, I thought that was really awesome. Absolutely. Coming from Nolan, that's, that's high praise indeed. <laughs> Um, and, and he, he also actually, when I, I posted, I don't post book reviews to that list that often. I used to post more often. Uh, but when I posted like way back, like a couple years ago, I posted a couple and I didn't think they were all that great, but for some reason he really likes my reviews and he sent me emails like, I really enjoy your reviews. They're very thought provoking. And I'm like, okay, thanks. (laughs) I mean, compared to what, I mean, my thoughts on his reviews are that, you know, they're like really awesome and I could not do as well as he does, but apparently he disagrees and I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. You know, (laughs) (laughs) so anyway, um, thanks to all who listen and to the new Twitter followers we have gained. And, um, thanks also to those who check us out on Goodreads. Yay! And I need to update that page again. Yes, yes, we should. Um, (laughs) So, um, moving right along, let's just dive right in, shall we? And uh, maybe to uh, screw things up just a bit, I will start off by explaining what I read this month. Go for it. I think you did it last time. You started it off. Um, This month, I have read... A couple of things, I'm kind of in the middle of several different books, So, but I'll talk about ones that I actually have finished. Um, I read a book called, well, I read a book based on the 1984-85 television series V. Uh, the author, A.C. Crispin, who actually, she, she's the main author of that book, she's also written several Star Trek books, passed away recently. And I felt like it would be cool to read one of her 
one of her books. I have read a couple of her Star Trek books, but um, I did not see the series V when it was out, so I can't compare the book to the series because, well, I hadn't seen it. But it's about these... I, I saw the series in 2011 and 2010 when it was out. It came out again. It was like a new incarnation. Um, but it, it's about these aliens who come to Earth, and um, we think that they're coming for all these benevolent reasons, but really they're coming to take over the planet and poison the atmosphere and do all sorts of nasty stuff. And it's about how the humans fight them off. And um, in the 1984-85 series, movie, whatever it was, I think it was like a miniseries or something, um, they fight off the the visitors, as they're called, and um, they, you know, are sent back to wherever they came from. And the book follows the same premise in the new incarnation of the TV series that came out a couple of years ago. The visitors, like, take over everybody. They, they have this technique by which they can influence people's minds and things. Um, and that's where the series ended. It was a TV series. It lasted for two seasons, and actually I thought it was getting kind of good, and then it disintegrated and fell apart and left. So... Not sure if they'll bring it back, but I did enjoy the book. Um, I thought it was very interesting to compare the two. And uh, at least the book to the series that I saw a couple years ago, which was, you know, substantially different, but similar in a lot of respects. Um, the the book, uh, I started reading it at about the same time I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, I knew back when the miniseries was out in 84 and 85. And she, I remember that she, she was in school with me and she was really upset that she was you know, we went to the residential blind school, and I remember that she was really upset that she was at school during the time that the series was on, and she wasn't going to be able to see the ending, because it was on oh. during a night when, you know, our house parents wouldn't let us watch it or whatever, and, you know, her her brother or mother or father or somebody, somebody in her family watched it and, like, told her what was happening, but it was, you know, not the same. Um, as I didn't watch it, I didn't care one way or the other, but I remember that she was really upset about that. So, um... <laughs> That was a that was an interesting book to read. It, I mean, it was a fun science fiction book. It was not one of those, you know, like real thought provoking. Wow, you know, reads that that I would go back and read again and again and again. But I mean, it was it was fun. Um, let's see, what else did I read? I read a book called "She Who Remembers" by Linda Lay Schuler, and this is um, Native American historical fiction. Um, and it's similar, I guess, in tone, kind of, to the, the books that are written by um, Kathleen and Michael Gere, that um, the, the first North American series, there are like 15 of those. I read one of those, incidentally, this month as well. Um, and it, it basically, you know, this, this one takes place in 12th century Colorado, Wyoming area, and follows the adventures of this uh, woman who is driven out of her tribe because, well, one of her ancestors was a Viking and had blue eyes and bequeathed them to her on down the line. We don't know what ancestor it was. It's just that, you know, she has them. And uh, her tribe thought she was a witch, and so they cast her out. Um, and about her adventures after that happens, and it's it's only available in, on Bard in Braille. Uh, the whole trilogy is available in Braille, actually, but not audio, which is kind of interesting. And so... This is actually a reread for me because I read it a long time ago. Like, I don't know, 1998 or something. It was a, I mean, it was a long, long time ago. And um, I wanted to read the whole trilogy. And I, um, and I didn't remember enough about what happened in the first book to feel like I could start with the second one. So um, 
Uh, it was just as fun to reread it as it was to read it. Um, it's a very, very nice, elegant, uh, simple prose, very lyrical in spots. Um, and it was, um, it was a very good read. Another book that I read, A Morbid Taste for Bones by Ellis Peters. This is the first Brother Cadfail book. Um, these are medieval mysteries um, about this Welsh monk with a checkered past who is, um, you know, like he had been in the Crusades and sailed all, all over the world and everything. And it's like the 11th century and he's now settled down to this contemplative life in uh, this monastery and runs the herb garden, basically. And he gets himself into all these, in all this trouble. I mean, you know, gets involved in all these uh, mysterious undertakings. And this was the, this was the first book in the series. And there are several in this series. I mean, you know, like 20 books or some ridiculous number. Um, and so that was a fun read. I've been wanting to read it for a while. Um, because I like, I like mysteries that are set in medieval times. I think they're kind of fun. Um, and also, um, one more read to mention is, uh, Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. This was the Sword and Laser book pick for this month. Uh, the Sword and Laser podcast slash book club, swordandlaser.com, with Veronica uh, Belmont and Tom Merritt. And um, it's a science fiction fantasy podcast book club type of thing, and they are also on Goodreads. Uh, anyway, plug aside, um, I had never read this book. And so many of my friends, you know, people I know, etc., have read it and think it's just like one of the most fantastic things they've ever read. And so last week when I had a snow day off from work and everything, I decided that I was going to read it. Uh, it's a nice short book and it was okay. That's about all I got to say. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was nice. It was a very good coming of age story. But it's not one of those things that just like blew me out of the water. Uh, there are a lot of people that that book, for some reason, has a lot of impact on a lot of people. And I can under, I mean, I guess I can sort of understand that. But to me, it just did not stand out for me as one of the, you know, best things I've ever read. I think there are a couple of her other books that I thought were better. <laughs> but um, that being said, um, it, you know, it was an enjoyable read. And I'm glad I finally read it because I think it really is a classic um, in that particular genre. And it's, it's one of those, it's a very early sort of sci-fi fantasy coming of age novel that I think a lot of, you know, a lot of later books are based on. You know, they have that as the kind of framework for their plot. And I think it's influenced a lot of authors. So I think in that way, it's a very influential book. I just well, don't I think, think it's a wizard school. Yeah, exactly. Um, it just didn't stand out for me as, you know, one of my very favorites. You know, it, it's not one of those comfort reads that I'll go back to. Um, so those are my, my four picks for the month. Okay. Well, I haven't, I've, I've been sort of not reading as much as I would like. Um, <clears throat> actually, the deal really is that I was reading a book in Braille, um, which I talked about last month, The Steers Woman's Road, right. and uh, which was a two-book uh, omnibus, I guess you'd say, although I feel like if you're going to use that word, there should be more than two. But anyway, two books it was. <laughs> and it took me three weeks to read it. <laughs> and it wasn't that it was bad. It's just that it took me three weeks to read it. It was in Braille. Um, I mean, you know. So, like, because life happened, and I was reading mm -hmm. in Braille, and you tend to be a little slower on <laughs> the uptake in Braille anyway. Oh, yeah. At least I do. Um, so I finally finished that, and it was excellent, and um, I highly recommend it. It's on Bookshare. 
Um, and the, the first book is available uh, via Kindle, The Steerswoman's Road. Um, but if you want to read the the omnibus, omnibus thing, it's on it's on Bookshare. And and if you um, happen to be cited by for <laughs> any reason or still listening to this podcast, like I'm sure you could find it like secondhand on Amazon. Um, let's see. I also read. I I started to read. Uh, I decided that I was going to take on the twelve book Andrew Lang complete fairy tale. Oh fairy yes! Book I started reading that two years ago. I still haven't finished it. <laughs> well, I thought, well, hey, twelve books, um, twelve months in a year. That will be my project for twenty thirteen. I will read a fairy tale every day, and and like. I think it, it's going to end up being that I read sometimes more than one fairy tale every day so that I can finish, like, one of the, the books a month. But, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and it's been interesting because I really like that, that, I, that there are so many fairy tales I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many, um, how many kind of common elements there are throughout a lot of the stories that, that like, I'd never really thought about. Um, like how many like sort of beastly men turn out to like get married to the these women and then like oh but they're really men and they're hot yeah. um but um so that's been interesting i i read the first one in january the blue fairy book and now i'm on the red fairy book and we'll i'll keep you posted as to how that's going if yeah. i end up giving up in despair in about july or whatever um but so far so good and then um, I read a couple. I read a really nice um, uh, romance on uh, my Braille display, so it's it's available uh, via Kindle or um, iBooks, and it's called Dirty Laundry, and it's by one of my favorite romance authors, Heidi Cullinan, who writes the the male male romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I liked about this one was that it was uh, one of the guys was suffered from OCD and anxiety, and um, it was not a story where he was cured by the magical power of having sex all the time. Oh, God. Like, he still <laughs> has anxiety when the book is done, and he will always have it, and, like, you know, he's going to therapy, <laughs> And he's dealing with it in, like, very healthy ways. But Mm -hmm. so it's like, you know, I I like that it was a story about a disabled character that wasn't about the disability, if that makes any sense. Uh Um, And so I really, I really like that. And I think I... I, I really just basically think she's becoming one of my favorite authors. I think her books are good. Um... But I know that that like if you're not so into um, reading about the dudes getting together, <laughs> like that might be a barrier for you. But I think that they're they're definitely well worth reading. Um, and then let's see. Right now I'm reading in in Braille. I took it home from work. Um, a short story collection that I read as a teenager called "Dreams of Dark and Light" by Tanith Lee. I love Tanith Lee. <laughs> she's so wonderful she is um i i had forgotten that that she was an author that i really loved as a teenager and i hadn't re- really read her much since mm-hmm. and i remembered about this short story collection because i saw it on bookshare and i was like oh oh i will yeah. definitely look that up that's, that's she a thing. has written some 
fantastic short fiction. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really good. It's um, some of the stories I think are better than others, and and I think that the collection is is kind of it's organized alphabetically, which I guess is like a sensible way to do this. Any, right. but like, but it, you know, it, it does make it sort of. They don't always, the stories don't always flow together particularly well, and and some of them just aren't that good. Right. Um, But the ones that are good are really, really good. (laughs) And then the other thing I'll mention is um, I'm reading, I happen to get for my blog an, an early advanced reader copy of an anthology of romance novellas called Marked, which will be out by the time this podcast goes out. Um... It's self-published. Uh, one of the authors is a friend, is a Twitter friend of mine, and so that's why I have had an early copy of it. And um, even though she's a Twitter friend of mine, it's um, I, I read the first two, and one of them is sort of this dystopian post-apocalyptic thing, which was really good, and the other one was sort of a was a contemporary um, a contemporary romance uh, set in in a small town in Canada, oh. which is like seemed very rare and exotic to me considering (laughs) the fact that like all contemporary romances that I've ever read have been set in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was nice to like read about the, uh, like the, the heroine is, is part of the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Oh, nice. Oh, that was, I thought that was super cool. And I haven't read the third novella yet, but the first two were really awesome. Um, Oh, good. So, and then the the fairy tales and uh yeah that's it no oh, awesome all right speaking of books that we read that were really awesome this is sort of segueing into the news it's a really bad one but that's okay <laughs> we all have heard jk rowling's latest news all of us who love harry potter Some of us were just floored by this realization. She gave an interview to the New York Times and other places, uh, you know, and and people have picked up on it and ran with it, that um, she really regrets pairing Ron and Hermione together, in hindsight. (laughs) Um, Do you have anything to say about that? Because really, Um, I don't care that much. I mean, so what? (laughs) I I have to admire her PR savvy that, that like this this totally feels like 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 she's thinking to herself hey you know I'm starting to run out of of money to roll around in in my swimming pool <laughs> maybe I should talk about Harry Potter some more yeah there you go and <laughs> and uh, that's that's totally how it feels I don't uh, like I I think that that. For me, the most interesting part of the whole thing has been, like, watching people flail around about it on the internet. Yeah. And not actually about the things she said herself. Because, you know, it's, like, the series is done. She's not going to write, you know, Harry Potter and the marriage counseling that <laughs> that should have happened but didn't. Right. Um, <laughs> like, that's not going to be a thing. Um, and I don't care either. It's, like, people... <laughs> the the Harry Potter fandom has has is like it was so vast and people have have like you know there that's why that's why there's there's fanfic you know people yeah. can write whatever stories they want to in that universe and and like 
I mean, it's two fictional characters and their romantic lives that were like characters in a children's book. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't understand why this is a thing that we have to... I don't understand why people will get so bent out of shape over it. I mean, when... I guess when, you know, people... When, when I was reading the books and, you know, Ron and Hermione got together, I thought to myself... You would think that if she was going to pair people together, she would pair Ron, I mean, she would pair Harry and Hermione together because they're like, you know, the hero and the heroine. And Ron was just sort of, I don't know, he was like Harry's sidekick and, you know, would help him get into yeah. trouble. But otherwise, he was kind of, well, I mean, for a while there, kind of useless. And so you were thinking, is this really a good combination? But, you know, after a while, I, I, I thought worked out and she made them into a you know they were like a really cute couple and he developed as a character and and she kind of developed as a character and that relationship was a good thing to happen in the books um and i thought you know it was nice but i don't see why i mean i just don't get it i guess i don't yeah. get why people are getting so I, out of shape i feel like it. either way you can't win because yeah. like <laughs> you know it, it, it's <laughs> like Harry and Hermione, it's like, so she's the, she's sort of the token girl in their trio. So if, if she were to end up with Harry, it would have been like, you know, like, because it was sort of expected of her, but she ends up with the right. goofy sidekick instead. And right. like, it, so it's just like, poor Hermione, she can't, like, whatever choice she makes, according to the internet, it's it, like, it would have yeah. been wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I... I don't understand, but I have to admire J.K. Rowling for keeping keeping it all relevant and trying to keep Harry Potter alive, <laughs> stirring the pot, stirring the pot exactly. Um, yeah. Um, be careful when you go to your next book club meeting because speaking of authors, um, the author might show up. There is a service in New York called Book Writer. And um, I think it's really only dedicated to book clubs in the New York area at the moment because they have a lot of money to throw around and a lot of authors live near there, so it makes it easy. But for a not-so-small fee, certain authors have shown up for book club meetings and answered questions from the readers. Um, I think it's like a $750 fee. The author gets 400 of that and 350 goes to the service. Um, but if you're a book club with some money to throw around, you might and you're in that area, you might want to consider that. Or if you are in another area of the country and there are authors that live near you and you want to put some kind of service like that together, uh, you can, you know, probably do that. Um, we will link to an article in the show notes that talks about that. Um, I think that would be kind of cool. I do know that there are some authors who have come to bookstores in my area. I, David Sedaris is from around here, and um, he came to a bookstore in... Uh, in this area about a year and a half ago. And there was some talk in a book club that I was in at the time, maybe that was about two years ago now, about getting him to come to our book club, but it never happened. Um, you know, you're, you, people are afraid to approach authors, you know, just little old me. <laughs> you know? Right. And uh, so, you know, it, it, it never happened. But, um, you know, you can check that out. I think that's kind of a neat idea, actually. It, that is a cool idea. And I don't know, like, I, th I think it would be, uh, 
I think it would be fun to have an author come to a book club, but only if I liked the book. I mean, yeah, I would hate to have an author come to my book club and it be a book that I really um, didn't like and feel like I was being really critical and, and saying all the things I didn't like about it. You know, because I, I would be, I would, I would hesitate to be honest. And if you're in a discussion with an author about something, you, or with anyone about something, you know, I want, I'd want to be honest. But it would be hard to be honest because, you know, this person came, you know, albeit you're paying the person to show up, which for me is, is completely understandable. I understand that, you know, not all authors are vastly su- successful and make huge amounts of money. Um, but, um, you know, and, and obviously this would be, you know, this is income for them. Uh, and I and I get that uh, their money comes in fits and starts. So you know it's it would be you know totally fine for me to to pay for an author to come. Um, I have nothing against that. But I would feel like you know I'd have to be really nice to them. And if I didn't like the book, then it'd be kind of like, but I'm being mean, and that's not. It's you know they've come they've come to my book club. I don't want to be mean. You know. Yeah, exactly. And I was just thinking about like you know. The- <laughs> Like I, I consider this podcast to be a book club of sorts, and and I feel like I would be like like the idea of having an author on on a podcast. Um, also, I was just thinking like oh, that kind of gives me the shivers. I don't yeah. know if I could do that. I don't know if I could either, um, unless <laughs> the author was like a friend or somebody I knew and felt comfortable approaching. And the only author that I know, Elisa Lorello, one of her books is on Bard, and she actually was oh. a member of one of my book clubs for a while. But um, you know, she she was uh, really she's a really nice person and really interesting person, and she taught at a university really near here uh, for several years. And now I just talk with her through Facebook. But in any event. Um, yeah, I thought that, you know, getting an author on a podcast would be equally as scary <laughs> as getting an author to show up, uh, you know, in, at a book club. Of course, if you, if you show up at a book club, you know, there's that personal interaction that you're missing with a podcast. And on, you know, if you get the author to show up for a podcast interview, there are all the technicals that could go wrong. Yes. That contribute to the anxiety as well. And given the fact that we can't avoid technicals ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. How are we going to bring in a third person? Lord have <laughs> mercy. Uh, yeah, because we've thought about even having like a third person on the podcast and it's never worked out because I, we get too uh, flummoxed and then, you know, it's, oh, God, it's time to record. We have to call the third person. Oh, oh well, <laughs> yeah. we'll do that next month and it never happens somehow. But anyway, um, it's still a plan, so if you'd like to be on Book Hoarders, please do let us know. Um, <laughs> we will consider we it. We will consider it. We uh, make no promises, make no promises at all. Yeah, <laughs> no promises at all. Okay, so anyway. um, moving right along. Uh, speaking of established authors and uh, being successful, there is an app out now uh, currently for the iPhone, but they're working on an Android version, wherein successful authors recommend short stories by new authors that are trying to establish themselves. Um, This app is called Canoe, C-O-N-N-U, and you can find it in the iTunes store. Uh, For those people who use voiceover, you can, it is a usable, it is usable. Um, it was just launched a couple of months ago. So you have the capability, um, this goes for everybody, you know, you've got the capability to read the stories. Um, they push a story to you. Uh, and most, a lot of the time it is, you know, such and such an author has recommended this story written by, you know, a new author. Um, and you can either read the story with the app, or you can uh, have the app stream the audio of the story. Uh, you don't have to purchase the story. They just come to you 
uh, through, you can turn push notifications on so that you can get them. Or if you don't want push notifications, of course, you can open the app at any point and see an archive of stories that have been released. Uh, the app it was funded through Kickstarter and it was launched first in late October. I just found out about it recently um, and have spent the last two weeks uh, playing with it. It's pretty fun and the stories are pretty short. So they're easy. I mean, you know, if you want your first morning cup of coffee and just that little something to read before you go to work, which is what I find myself doing with it. Um, it's a great uh, start to my day uh, and, and it's a lot of fun. So I'd encourage you all to check that out. Canoe, C-O-N-N-U, which means known in French, K-N-O-W-N. Cool. Um, so, uh, and it's canoepublishing.com if you want to go to the website and check that out. Let's see. Um, what other news stories do we have? Ah, yes. Oh. Um, go ahead. I, I was th- I was thinking that that um, speaking of established authors, although they're not likely to be writing short stories anytime soon, um, they they found a sample of handwriting from from Jane Austen. Yeah, um, that's kind of cool. I think she was writing. She lived, I guess, with her brother, who was a minister or something, and she was writing um, snippets down from some of his sermons. And this seems to be a sample of one of his sermons rather than one of her own compositions. But the parchment or paper or whatever it is has something on the other side that they can't read. So they're going to try and use some kind of, you know, like stain remover to get the handwriting to show up. I don't know. It's got smudges, you know, the ink smudges with age and things uh, to see what it says to see if maybe it may be something that she wrote. Uh, And speaking of historical figures, the statue of Charles Dickens is now being unveiled in Portsmouth, uh, England, where he was born. And the statue has been in development or considered by the town for 110 years. That is a long time. That is a long time. I mean, we think about our towns taking a while to, like, get ordinances passed and stuff like that. But 110 years is a little long. It seemed like you'd think that would be a no-brainer. I mean, it's Charles Dickens. Well, the, the problem is that Dickens, when he died, or, well, before he died, said he wanted no fanfare. He wanted, like, a small, quiet funeral. So a lot of people were taking that to mean he didn't want any monuments put up, you know, in his birthplace or anything. Uh, and so the people in the town who thought they knew him best, I guess, were kind of fighting the erection of this statue. But I believe with a lot of support from his descendants, it finally got pushed through um, and it was unveiled recently. Uh, And at the unveiling were a lot of Charles Dickens's descendants, including Oliver Dickens, age nine, one of his great, 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 great grandsons. Aw. Yeah, I know. Isn't that sweet? Uh, (laughs) Along with like 40, 40 other at least 40 other Dickens descendants and fans from all over the world, including, uh, you know, like from places like the U.S. and stuff like that. So uh, that that's some fun. Apparently he's, the statue is him sitting with a bunch of books on his lap and a bunch of books at his side as if he's about to do a reading and book signing. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and last but not least, uh, a writer, a person that I didn't even know wrote books, Charlie Chaplin, uh, one of his, uh, his only nonfiction work, his only nonfiction work was, or no, fiction work, I'm sorry, it was fiction, was found recently. Um, even though it was fiction, the reason why I kept saying nonfiction is that it was a lot of 
things in there uh, appear to be about his own personal experiences and uh, a struggling comedian trying to, you know, make it, if you will. And that's what this book appears to be about. Um, no, I, no word on when it will actually be out or, you know, if it will be out for the masses at any time soon. That's really cool. Yeah. People you didn't know wrote. That's, that's. Yeah. So shall we move on to the book? Absolutely. This was this month's homework, which was the J. Alfred Prufrock Murders by Corinne Holt-Sawyer. And fess up, you did not trust me. I did not trust you. I was I was going to bring that up and see it <laughs> myself. Yeah, I um, I I feel like um, the type of mysteries I like tend to be of the cozier sort. But I feel like sometimes a lot of cozy mysteries have have premises that I find really gimmicky. And I thought that gold that the Golden Girls solving crimes would be. <laughs> really really gimmicky and (laughs) and kind of terrible but um so then it was it was a shock when I found that I (laughs) like didn't find it gimmicky at all that there was actually some depth in this book and and that I really liked the characters and um yeah so so I should trust Aaron (laughs) (laughs) you trusted me about the braille display why won't you trust me about books (laughs) I mean, really. <laughs> However, I, I I thought that it was good that you you know you were you were honest about it. Um. So so all that being said, um, what did you what did you enjoy the most about the book? I really liked um. I like the 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 author's writing style. I like that she has a very um. Like, she seems to be gently mocking her characters, but not in a, like, let's laugh at these people way, but more in a, you know, this is just how she is, <laughs> sort of sort of thing. Um, I really liked that she, that, that despite the fact that this was sort of a lighthearted story, there was a lot in here that was, that was kind of deep. Mm-hmm. Um a lot to think about, like for example, the subplot where it turns out about um, the the little the little Brooks, um, where the the husband turned out to be a, a an SS officer, and whether that means that, um, like knowing that, does that change your perception of them, and can you forgive? Could they forgive him for that? Right, and, and I really thought that was like. I, I didn't. I didn't expect that kind of thing to 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 show up in 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 this book, and I thought I thought it was really interesting that she raised these questions, but then she didn't actually answer them, and I didn't really need for her to. But but you know, just it was nice to have something to think about. Yeah, and I I like the way that they dealt with with death. Um, you know, like yeah. Nan Church's husband had Alzheimer's and dealing with that kind of an end and you know her acceptance of that and the way that the other people reacted to to his passing um was very was very well done and and made you made you think I mean you know that they 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 talk about death and she you know the author makes a point of you know not coding not 
gilding the lily, I guess you, I mean, you know, not, I don't know what the expression is I'm looking for, but like, you know, telling it like it is, um, you know, so at the same time, so at the same time that there's a, a lot of, you know, humor in this book and, and she kind of, you know, mocks everybody, if you will, a little bit, like you said, uh, gently, um, she also has uh, the ability to bring up issues that, especially issues that face the elderly and um, cause us to think about how we would deal with things like that that would happen in our lives. Yeah. Um, and this is a common, it's a really common thing throughout all of the books. You know, a lot of these same issues, you know, talking about death and um, living on a fixed income and, um, you know, having friends that that die and, and whether or not being elderly means your your life is completely, you know, there's no more romance left. Uh, you know, all these same issues come up in other books in the series that I've read. And, and I actually had read other books and had not read this one. So it was, it was a little bit, you know, strange for me to go backwards, if you will, and read the first book when I and hadn't actually read it before. Book. I just kind of jumped in the middle. Um, that was my, my thing. Um, like, one of the thing, one of the questions I had when I was done with it was, um, and this is where we get to, to spoiler territory. So if you yeah. didn't finish the book and don't want to be spoiled, since we are talking about a mystery, you might want to um, call it good right now with the podcast. Um, I I didn't think she would go there with um, the the murder turning out to be one of the four people that I. I didn't think she would either, and I didn't think she would go there by, like, killing off the other one, another yeah. one of the four people. I was like, whoa! You know, I totally I, I totally didn't expect that, um, and I was, I, I didn't actually finish this book until Friday night, or would it be Saturday morning at midnight, when uh, I was trying to get it done, and I was like, oh, wow, but it's all of a sudden getting really good, you know, with finding out he's the SS officer, and, you know, Mr. Littlebrook is, is the SS officer, and then going along, and then all of a sudden, you know, Nan's husband dies, and then, oh, my God, all of a sudden, Nan is found dead, and, oh, my goodness, it's not really her, it's the other one. And I'm thinking to myself, she just killed off two of the main characters that were really integral parts in this in this right. mystery, you know, solving the mystery even, and that was that was a real surprise to me. I I really was not sure. Like, I mean, I, I I guess I don't read that many mysteries, and I I think if I had thought about it enough, like, um, if I if I really like put the the clues together, I probably could have figured it out for myself. But I I like I was like, okay, well, you know, you have your four lady detectives and. They're kind of like the Golden Girls, like yeah. And you <laughs> we're, expect, we're expect them out. to all be around when it's over, you know? Yeah, I you know I was trying to figure out which Golden Girl represented each one of the women, and <laughs> um, <laughs> I never never did quite manage to figure manage to uh, come up with a satisfactory um, correlation that that worked for me. But <laughs> um, and then, but yeah, then we had you know. Nan killing herself, and then it turns out that that Stella was the the real killer. And I actually kind of, um, I don't know, like I'm, I, I haven't quite decided what I thought, what I think about that particular revelation. Because on the one hand, I think I think it's really clever that she managed to fool me <laughs> and my right. like what I was expecting. But on the other hand, like like 
then it turns out that basically Stella's just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and obsessed with her family lineage. And I was just like, you know, like that, no. I, that's not what you said about this lady the whole rest of the book. <laughs> It's like, I, you know, in, in an effort to make the outcome unpredictable, it was a little bit too, uh, you know, I don't know if unrealistic is the right word I'm looking for. But, you know, we had our perception of Stella and then all of a sudden at the end of the book, we're expected to change it. We're expected to do a total 180. Haha, um, just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Haha, just kidding. And it's kind of like, whoa. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I really like that. Um, I do think that... Um, it was good because, you know, it was, it, to me at least, a very unpredictable outcome. I did not predict that outcome. I thought, you know, it could have been somebody else. Um, but, and and I guess if I had put the clues together, I would have figured it out, but I didn't. Um, however, you know, that being said, I like the fact, you know, I like when mysteries have an unpredictable outcome. But I think there's a fine line to be drawn between unpredictable and a little bit over the top like a little bit going a little bit trying a little bit too hard to make it unpredictable which it seems like that's what she did here and I think yeah. um, in future books it gets a little bit better it's not quite as abrupt of a you know, switch that you're expected to do um, at least in the other books that I read um, but with this one I felt like she tried a little bit too hard to make it unpredictable and I was a little bit unsettled and still am a little bit unsettled like you are about you know having to change my perception of Stella all at once you know, at the end of the book, there wasn't enough. I mean, you you think if someone was was crazy and a little bit nuts and, you know, kind of like a little bit confused, like she seemed to be at the end of the book, there would have been hints of it. Yeah. And we did see the fact that she was kind of obsessed with her family and, you know, very prim and proper, but no hints that she was getting a little confused or, you know, may have been a little forgetful or you know I was looking for you know I would have liked to have some of that just to keep a little bit of consistency in her character yeah yeah I would have too or at least something that would have made me look back and say oh oh okay that explains that right yeah um one thing that always that that tends to bother me a little bit about certain cozy mysteries and I and I um wanted to ask about this. It seems like if you lived in a place where like, for example, um, Cabot Cove, <laughs> home of Jessica Fletcher, <laughs> um, like after a while, seeing all these people like winding up dead under, under like nefarious circumstances would start to bother you like in the real world. And I feel like a lot of times um, my perception of, of a lot of these kinds of mysteries is that, that like the reset button gets hit, you know, as, as the books go, like, you know, in the second book in the series, it's like, oh, well, there's another murderer found or <laughs> another dead body on the, on the sidewalk next to the whatever. And, and, you know, like people aren't, um, people aren't like, well, you know, that did just happen last week. Don't you remember? Don't you think we live in an area that's a little bit unsafe? But yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I mean, if, if so I see I too many mysteries, like, you know, set in a, in a specific, and they're all set in a specific area, I agree so that... I, I just wonder if, like, the rest of the series, like, does it does it do some of that? Like, do they acknowledge the fact that, that you know, like, I don't know, even some something like, you know, all the unpleasantness with Sweetie and Stella or whatever well, in future books of the series? I, or is it just like... 
I don't remember because I read I read you know two I read two of the other books in the series and one book I remember that the murder took place at another assisted living facility and in order to solve it Caledonia and Angela moved in to that place so that they could be there you know um, to to get a hand you know kind of like figure out who the residents were and, and what was going on and then with the other one that I read I don't remember if they acknowledged you know, past things that had happened or not. But I think you're right, and I agree that in a lot of cozy mysteries that involve small-town environments, and they stay in the same small-town environment, it seems like the people become a little bit forgetful. Conveniently so. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you um, know. I had a work colleague who, who, who advanced the theory that Jessica Fletcher was the, the world's most accomplished serial killer. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> that, How so? That, that, like that that she would that that the reason that she managed that that she that what she was really good at was framing other people for her, for her crimes. That's funny because so many of them happen in like <laughs> in those little in, in that little same small town, mm-hmm. and, and she's always there. And and uh, I don't know, it, it it was silly, but you know, considering yeah. the fact that that was such a successful TV show, and then like the books, there are about a million murder shows. Oh wrote. God! <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually branched out into reading the books, although I was really a devotee of the TV show when it was out. I watched it every week, avidly. Um, towards the end of the series, they started to branch out, and like she would travel to other places go to other parts of the country. But, it, you know, a lot of them did take place. A lot of the murders did happen in Cabot Cove. And I'm kind of like, um, I think I would want to move somehow. I wouldn't be able <laughs> to set the reset button as as thoroughly as, as she seemed to be able to. It, it's like one of the reasons I really like the Louise Penny Armand Gamache books is that, that um, I've only read two, but it's, it feels like in those two books... Um, she didn't set the reset button mm-hmm. and they they may all be set in, in like the town of, of, of three pines, but it's, it's not um, like the, the characters have other stuff that's going on because of like what happened in previous books, they're still dealing with certain issues. And I, I right. like that she acknowledges that um, without the books becoming horribly dark and, and terribly depressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I can't answer your question because I don't I don't remember enough about the ones that I read to 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 know whether you know they acknowledge that um, or whether they just keep mashing that reset button. But um, in any event, maybe we should move on and talk about what our next month's homework is. Yes, our next month's homework we're going to try um, we're going to try a romance novel. Um, the book is called A Lady Awakened, and it's by Cecilia Cecilia Grant. Um, it's the first in her, I believe they're the Blackshire family, Blackshire family. Blackshire family, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, um, the, the basic premise is that, uh, a, a woman is widowed and, um, she doesn't really want the guy that was, is going to inherit the estate from her husband to, um, have it because he's going to do horrible things with it. And, um, so she contrives a scheme in which she's going to um, get herself pregnant <laughs> within a short period of time, uh, and you know, hopefully, and pass off the kid as her her late husband's. And um, what I I've read this book, and what I like about it is that that 
that setup is so sleazy and, and <laughs> it's like contrived, but, but she is a really good author and she makes it work. And, um, I think she has a lot of really interesting things to say about, uh, about sex and kind of the way that people have to negotiate around these things. And, um, it's on audible. It's on every, I think it's still in print and it's definitely on bookshare and it's on Bard. So it just depends on what your preferences are, but absolutely. It is available. It's, um, it's available in all kinds of different formats. So enjoy. That is our Valentine's day read of the year. Um, I completely and utterly totally thought that it was a different book and Shannon educated me right before the podcast started, which was a real good thing because if I hadn't made sure that I knew what the, we were reading, we would have been, I would have been a completely other side of the fence. <laughs> yes. <because laughs> we, we're, we're trying this thing where we're, 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 we're planning our books for months in advance and our, our March book is not a romance. Uh, no. To put it, to put to, it mildly. <laughs> But more about that in March, obviously. Um, Until then, this has been Book Hoarders Anonymous, and uh, we really enjoyed putting this out. So thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can email bhapodcast at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Book Hoarders. Um, Go to our book... uh, goodreads page find us on goodreads or you can visit our website of course bhapodcast.com for previous episodes uh for me personally you can find my twitter account at aaron edgar um and now it's your turn and um yeah my twitter account is bard song b-a-r-d-s-o-n-g um and let's see you should tune in to aaron edgar on uh, the melting pot on the phoenix which um, is thephoenix.net. The right? dash phoenix. The, the dash phoenix. The dash phoenix.net. Phoenix. Yeah, we couldn't get yeah. the phoenix. But anyway, um, yeah, on Sundays at se- at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, 11 p.m. UK, and you should look up Shannon on her blog, flightintofantasy.com. Yes. You will get to hear read all of my blathering. We will see you next time, and we look forward to hearing from you. Bye. Bye. To contact the book hoarders, send email to bhapodcast at gmail.com. Follow book hoarders on Twitter. Call us at 520-81-BOOKS, 520-812-6657. And visit the website at bhapodcast.com.